<laughs> Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are going to be talking uh, about the subject of deacons tonight. Um, but before we do that, last week we, we talked about the office of the pastor and the responsibilities and everything that the pastor is supposed to do. And I made the statement, th- this statement, I made the statement that the word pastor is in, only in Scripture one time. Do you all remember me saying that? Okay, and that's true. The word pastor is only in in Scripture one time, and it's in the book of Jeremiah. But I failed to think about the the, the word pastor in plural. And the word pastors is in the Bible uh, eight times. Seven of of those uh, eight times, uh, it's in the book of Jeremiah also, but it is in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 11 and 12, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. So so it, it is in the New Testament. I made the statement that it wasn't, but it is. So I wanted to kind of clear that up because uh, I... I appreciate my wife and the fact that she she helps me when I when I make a gaffe like that, and she very kindly said, you know, you weren't totally right on that, but I, I appreciate that because you know that the the truth is, we all need to be diligent in that, and I, I'm so very thankful. <clears throat> but anyway, we're talking about the idea of deacons, and this is this is an area in churches today that I believe is, is a misunderstood aspect in the, in the life of a church. <clears throat> Some churches set up their deacons to rule and to um, set church policy. Um, is, is, that, is that correct? No. no, it's not. Where, where do we get church policy? I, and I'm giving you a hint here. Where do we get church policy? <laughs> Not from me. We get it from this book. See, God is the one who sets policy, not not the pastor or the deacon. <clears throat> Other churches uh, set up deacon boards uh, as an organized way to minister to the flock. Is that scriptural? No. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but but that's what it that's what a deacon is supposed to do is to minister. Yeah. And <clears throat> we're gonna. I have. Uh, I, I know Rick's not here tonight, but I, I have the word uh, in Greek. Uh, Chris was able to get it for me off the internet. Uh, this is the Greek word uh, diakonos for what we what the English word deacon. Uh, diakonos. Let me read you the meaning uh, of what a deacon is. This is this is what the definition is: one who executes the commands of of others, especially uh, of a master, servant, attendant, or minister. The servant of a king, a deacon, one who, by virtue of 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 the office assigned to him by the church, cares for the poor and has of a, uh, uh, 
and of <laughs> oh, cares for the poor and has charge of and distribution of monies collected for their use. Uh, a waiter, one who serves food or drink. Um, the the uses of the Greek word diakonos in the in the New Testament, it, it is translated into English minister twenty times, uh, servant eight times, and deacon only three times. So <clears throat> the word deacon has has little to do with power and authority, but has everything to do with what? Service. Um, I want to spend some time trying to communicate what servant leadership is. Again, the word deacon within the church, I think, is a misunderstood title or name. But also, I think in our society today, Servant leadership is something that is lacking across the board. Um, you can go to Washington. I don't care what party it is. It doesn't matter. We do not have servant leaders in Washington, D.C. No. We do not have servant leaders in Carson City. We have people who have grabbed hold of power and are unwilling to let it go. And that is anything but Bible. What does our, what does our Bible teach us? Humility. Okay. He, the examples that we are given in leadership are well. Well, let me let me read you a few in uh, uh, Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. Uh, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Now let's stop and and, and revisit this verse for a second here. It said, but but made himself of no reputation. What what does that mean? No self. Okay. Okay, he was home. There was nothing special about Jesus Christ. If Jesus were to walk in that door tonight, living in 21st century America, he would look just like us. Okay, Uh, you he he would act just like us. Well, I no, 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 he wouldn't. Uh, (laughs) Okay, you get my point. Okay, Um, he was of no rep. He did not. He did not go around doing miracles to lift himself up but to point glory to God. So he was of no reputation, took on the form of what? The king? No, of a servant. So what is the example that Jesus is setting for you and I? Uh, Exactly. We are are supposed to be servants. And then it says, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of men, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hand, 
What does that mean? He could have got himself off the cross. He had, he had everything in his hand. All power. And that he was come from God and went to God. He rises up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured uh, water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with a towel <clears throat> wherewith he was girded. God, when, he, when, when Jesus understood that he had the power of God in his hand, what was the first thing that he did? He went and washed the disciples' feet, the lowliest of lowliest jobs in that society. Again, the example that was set forth by Jesus Christ was one of an, of an incredible servant. People today, we would do just the opposite, would we not? John chapter 13, verses 14 to 16. Uh, if, I, if I then, uh, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash uh, one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, all power was given unto me, but I have demonstrated, I have, I have done for you what you need to go do to others. And that is live the life of a servant. What an incredible Example. What an incredible example. Jesus very clearly establishes, and, and these were just a few verses of servant leadership that Jesus wants us to portray in our lives. He wants us to be servant leaders. Look at Acts chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 4. And in those days, when the number of the disciples multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is, it, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, uh, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will <clears throat> give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry, uh, excuse me, and to the ministry of the word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. Lord, help us to get a hold of this idea of servant leadership. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Not too long ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who is familiar with 
a Christian college back east. This at one time was a very thriving Christian college. Uh, <clears throat> this college had literally sent out thousands of young men and women across the world to proclaim the love of Christ and to preach the gospel. And, and, had, and at one time was doing an incredible work. But the president of that college died. And a, a new pastor, because the, the church and the college were, were connected, they were one. And uh, the, the, the president of that college died and, and, the, and the pastor of the church. And the church called a new, a new pastor, which also meant that that pastor then became the president of the college. And he took the college down a road that was, was not biblical, put it that way. And, and it was very hurtful to the cause of Christ. Well, that pastor was, um, we'll, we'll, I'll just say he, he's in prison today, okay, uh, because of some things that he did. The, the third pastor that came uh, took the church, totally different personality than, the, than his predecessor. He put out a memo to the, to the uh, staff of the college and said, okay, uh, you need to show up at the college such such a day, such a time. Every, every student, every staff member, so on and so forth. We're going to have a work day. Come prepared to work. So <clears throat> the new pastor showed up to the work day, um, as most of us would expect, in a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt and a pair of gloves and ready to go to work. And and the, the over half of the staff of the college showed up in uh, a suit and tie. And he, you, you know what that new pastor did? He fired him on the spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I say, praise God for that. Because one of the things that we can, we can get lost in our minds is oftentimes we read passages like this and, we, and, and, and people, quote-unquote, in ministry can, can think that they're above doing minuscule manual labor. That is, that is not what this is talking about. Okay? <clears throat> that is that is not what this is talking about. Hey, Bob. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> excuse me. These men were burdened down trying to meet the needs of the church and spend time in prayer. And I'm here to tell you there can be a point in every pastor's life when they get so consumed with doing one, you can't do them both. And, and you need help. Okay? And that's what this is talking about here. Okay? So please understand, this is not, this is not giving pastors or ministers a pass, if you would, on the responsibility of doing work. So please, please get a hold of that. But I do have a question for you. What characteristic is set forth in verses 1 through 4 that we should look for in a deacon? 
Okay, honest report is one. But there's an overriding, the, the, the characteristic that I'm asking for is not in the list. Okay, they're doing they're doing it already. What what do the what do what do they tell the people? They say go out and find someone who's already doing it, and then we'll let them do it officially, <laughs> if that makes sense. So the characteristic that is is being sought here is one that these things are a part of their life to begin with. I have another question for you. <clears throat> would it be safe to say that a servant slash deacon is a matter of the heart? Hello? Okay. Okay, exactly. Okay. <laughs> it, is, it is all about the heart. It is, it is not about what you do so much as how you are. See how does where do, where does servant leadership begin? In the heart. So the 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 whole point here is that it is a, it is a matter of the heart. Another question for you: Would it be fair to conclude that all of us are to be deacons at heart? Yes. Absolutely. That that yes, absolutely. Another question, who can and should be a, a servant deacon at heart? Everyone. Well, <clears throat> let me rephrase that, every believer. Another question for you, who can hold the office of a deacon? Anybody? It's not a trick question. Okay, okay. First Timothy gives us a list, and it, and the answer to that question is those who are qualified. Okay. Why? Why? Why is that so important? Because if if at heart every believer is supposed to be a servant leader. Why then is there a distinction in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament church, for the office of a deacon? Okay, God has a reason for it. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I do not totally understand the entire reason for it. I can tell you a lot of uh, reasons why I think it is set forth that way. But God clearly sets forth qualifications for the office of a deacon. But at the same time, we're all supposed to be servant leaders. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the church of the saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, Let all things be done decently and in order. Part of the reason why there are qualifications is so that, excuse me, that everything be done orderly and in de decent, well, decently and in order uh, because that is how God sets his parameters. So <clears throat> turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
Last week we were in the first seven verses of First Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of a pastor. Now we're going to look at the, the qualifications of a deacon. <clears throat> Let's see here. Yeah. Okay. Let's start reading in verse 8. Likewise must the deacon be grave, not double-tongued, not given uh, to much wine, not greedy, a filthy lucre, holding the, the ministry of the faith in, in, in a pure conscience. And uh, let uh, these also first be proven, or proved, uh, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, uh, faithful in all things. Let the deacon be the husband of one wife, ruling their children uh, and their own house as well. For they that have use of the office of a deacon uh, uh, well purchase to themselves a good degree uh, and, the, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, Let's go ahead, and I want to work through these qualifications, if you would, and see if I can explain them to you so that you can understand what it means to, uh, to be a deacon. It starts off by using the word likewise. What, what, what does that word mean? Okay, as I said before. Okay, he starts off uh, <clears throat> in chapter 3 uh, <clears throat> describing... The qualifications of a pastor, and he's and he uses the word must. That that eliminates any question of any variance of of any um um uh what's I'm 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 missing the word here um huh doubt there you go that thank you okay it it it, it eliminates any doubt. It must be. So when he uses the word likewise here, it says in verse 8, likewise must the deacon. Now if you look at this, the word must is in italicized. It's italicized. So that means that that word is not in the original language. It's been placed there by the translators to help uh, grammatically. So what it's saying is by using the word likewise, it's going back to verse 2 and taking the word must and bringing it forward. So likewise, just as a pastor must be, a deacon must be. Does that make sense? Okay. So these, these are non-negotiable things in the life of a deacon. The first one. A deacon uh, must be grave. Uh, that is to be respectful, uh, respected in character and honor. Uh, the, the, the idea here is that <clears throat> he, the deacon uh, being grave is it's not a, uh, you know, we kind of take the word grave as a, a hole in the ground where we stick a body and, we, you know, it's like, I don't know. But that, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a, having this, this character of respect and, and, and the people, not only in the church, but the community, look at this individual 
with respect. That's what this word entails. <clears throat> uh, the next characteristic is not double-tongued. Uh, what, I mean, that's kind of obvious, but what do you think that means? Okay, say one thing and do another. Uh, let, let, me, let me stop right here and, and help you parents. Okay? <laughs> okay? Don't tell your children... What's, what's the old saying? Do as I say, not as I do. Okay? That is a double-tongued man or woman. Okay, just <laughs> because the, the truth is they're going to do what you do, not what you say. They are going to they're going to follow the way you live, not the way you talk. And let me help you parents with another thing. Don't lie to your kids. If if you tell your kids something, do it. What I mean by that is how many times have we told our kids, okay, if you touch if you touch that, okay, you're in Walmart, there's a big ball right in the middle of the aisle. Walmart's not stupid, by the way. They know where to put stuff to get parents to buy it for their kids. Just saying. <clears throat> you're best to leave your kids in the car. <laughs> but how many times have you been walking through Walmart and they, and they see a big ball or they see something, they run over and they start playing with it. And you say, put it down and don't touch it again. Well, what do they do? They grab it again. Well, if you touch that again, no ice cream for you tonight. If you say that, do that. Because if you give in later and say, well, okay, you can have ice cream. What did you just do? You just lied to your kids. So what is that? So the next time you say something like you touch that and you're and you're gonna get a spanking or you're gonna whatever, they're gonna go, yeah, right. Don't lie to your kids. A deacon is not supposed to be double tongued. <clears throat> um, not given to much wine. Okay, now, <laughs> the, the, okay, this is not saying. You can go out and get a little drunk. That's <laughs> that's not what this is saying. This is this has everything to do about being sober-minded. Okay, this is this is this is not really have to do anything about drinking, so to speak, but it has everything to do about being able to think clearly. First Timothy chapter five verse twenty-three uh, <clears throat> says, "Drink uh, no longer water, but use a little wine." For thy stomach's sake and thine and thine uh, often infirmities. So what what what's going on here? <clears throat> the wine in this day was not the alcoholic wine that we have today. It was completely different, and they and they needed wine in that day for for stomach ailment. We have Rolades and 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 other things, um, medications. But back then, all they had was this very weak wine that they could drink that would, would kill the parasites and so on and so forth in their stomachs. And, and it was necessary. And, and, this, and that's, what this, that's what this is talking about. Danny? I was reading a while back from some historians that think that when he was referring to this, it was in the pharmacopoeia range. Right. But it was a herb wine. Right. Specifically for 
Right, yeah, and that's and that's very popular. There's probably variations of the wine in that day, and some of it was probably fermented specifically for stomach things and and other stuff and so on and so forth. So so be very careful when you read these things. You're like, oh, I can go get drunk. That's not what it's talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, the next thing it says is not given to filthy lucre. Now now what is that talking about? Ill-gotten gain, money. Okay, is it wrong to have lots of money? No, no it's not. But it is wrong if you come across it uh, uh, inappropriately. Yeah. Or, if you covet it. or if you covet it. If it's something that, you know, boy, I just, you know, man, I, I, need, I need a new car. Oh, I got to have a new car. You know, <clears throat> so uh, not, not given to filthy lucre. Now, I want to stop right here, and how many of you have thought, wow, it sounds very similar to the qualifications of a pastor? Now, you're right. They're almost identical. That's why I'm not spending a lot of time on them, because last week we spent a lot of time on all these things. Number nine, uh, the mystery of the faith. Uh, literally, what is the mystery of the faith? It's the revelation of the gospel. A deacon is somebody who not only should be familiar with the gospel, but somebody who is willing and and is um, uh, currently sharing that gospel. It's not the preacher's job. It's everybody's job to share the gospel. Number nine. In a clear conscience. Wow, that's a heavy one, is it not? How many of us, how many of us, now don't raise your hand because everybody would raise their hand, but but think about this for a second. How many of us live with regrets other than me? (laughs) We all do. But what's the difference here? Having a clear conscience. Yeah, you know, we all make mistakes, do we not? But when when we when we don't own our mistakes is when we do not have a clear conscience. But when we own our mistakes, we can we can pillow our head at night and say, you know what? I blew it, but I tried. Verse number ten. And this is an interesting statement here. Verse number 10, and let these also first be proved. What does that mean? Okay, kind of. Test it. Now, I have here two bolts. This one and this one. Okay, I'm going to set them right here. Now, can anybody tell me which of these two bolts is strongest? Okay. Now, now Bob, Bob's right. We, we, we don't know. Now, we, we would tend to think that the bigger bolt would be stronger than the smaller one. I don't know if you can see, but it's even bigger in diameter. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay? How come we don't know? They haven't been they haven't been put to the test. Now, for those of you that, that know anything about nuts and bolts, <clears throat> there is something out there in the uh, mechanical world called tensile strength. Can anybody tell me what tensile strength is? Okay, it's, it is with a grade, a particular bolt. What does that grade mean? It's the breaking point. It is, it is how much stress you can put on a particular bolt before it, it breaks. The size has nothing to do with the tensile strength. A small bolt that has a higher tensile strength can outlast a much larger bolt when put under pressure. That is what this is talking about here. This proven is is literally what they'll do is they'll take a bolt into a factory, or not into a factory, but in a laboratory. They'll put a nut on it, and then they'll put a hydraulic system on it, and they will pull and pull and pull until it snaps. You see your life sometimes being pulled and pulled and pulled. How many of you have thought, okay, I'm about to snap? Yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there. Some of us are living it right now. But that's what this is talking about. A deacon is someone whose life has been proved and that that person has been able to go under extreme pressure and not break. So that in itself would dictate someone who is not young in the faith because somebody young in the faith has not been proven. It'd be someone who has not only done the work, but done the work in extreme conditions, if you would. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, Wherefore, my brethren, look ye out among you seven men of good report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, men who have been proven and put to the test and worthy of the, of the task. That it, it continues, Let them use the office of a deacon, it literally means let the people who have been proven, let them serve. Literally is what it means. And then another qualification is to be, be found blameless. What it, from, from last week's message on the pastor, what does it mean to be blameless? Does it mean that uh, a pastor or a deacon have to be perfect? No. What does the word blameless literally mean? Anybody remember? Okay, it means nothing sticks. That means when accusations are thrown at, at an individual, and they will be thrown, that those accusations don't stick. They just hit and bounce off and fall to the ground. Verse 11. <clears throat> Excuse me, let me change my page here. So... Even so, must their wives be grave. Again, 
the idea here is must. Now, it is interesting, at least to me it is, that in the first part of this chapter and the qualifications of a pastor, there's nothing said about the pastor's wife. Is it? Is there? No, there's nothing said. Now, why is that? Anybody know? Okay, well, what what happens when a when a man and woman get married in the eyes of God? Two two become one. So really, in essence, do not the qualification of a pastor then fall on the on the wife? Now, why why this is singled out here? I I, I don't know, but to me, the, the same understanding would fall for a deacon as well. But for some reason, God saw fit to add this qualification to the to the deacon's wife. So, uh, <clears throat> again, the the simple question or the simple statement here is: the deacon has to be married. It cannot be a single man. Okay. <laughs> um, so their wives must be grave. Again, that same. Uh, characteristic, somebody who's respected not only in the church but in the community, uh, not slanderous. Again, going back to the qualification of being double-tongued, uh, it's it's pretty much the same thing. It, it, with the I, I, idea here of of not slanderous is uh, um, somebody who's who would make a false accusation. Somebody who uh, this this tends to go to the idea of gossip, if you would. Somebody who would not do that. Um, the idea is the next one is to be sober. Again, not given to much wine. Somebody who's sober that thinks clearly. Faithful in all things. Okay? Faithful in all things. Man, that's a big, that's a big job. How many of us, how many of us, men or women, are faithful in all things? <laughs> okay. So so that it's, that's not what it's talking about. Basically, it's saying faithful to her husband and faithful to, to Christ. Okay, very simply put. Verse number 12, they are to meet the, 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 the deacons are to meet the same family requirements as the pastor. Husband of one wife. Uh, uh, clear of any uh, questions of infidelity. Uh, the, the basic principle here is that the pastor cannot rule his own family. He cannot rule the church. <clears throat> uh, and, and the same thing applies for the, for the deacon. If, if a deacon cannot manage and run his own home, he, he's not going to be able to serve in the church as well. Because if you can't do it at home, you're not going to do it here. It's, it's really pretty, pretty clear. And then verse 13, uh, there is a special reputation that comes along with being a deacon. Now, how many of you <clears throat> have known um, men who have been deacons in churches in the past? I have. And, and there is something uh, within us that, you know, we, we hear, oh, you're a deacon. Oof. We automatically have this idea of somebody who is elevated to a new level. Is, is that not true? 
So there is a reputation that comes along with that. But let me tell you, with every uh, responsibility, with every reputation that give, that's given you in, in Scripture comes a huge responsibility that is sometimes very difficult to live up to. <clears throat> the key here uh, to being a deacon uh, or a deacon's wife is understanding servant leadership. The key is understanding servant leadership. We saw in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Philippians chapter 2, uh, uh, John chapter 13, and then also in 1 Timothy <clears throat> chapter 3. Now, let me, let me kind of bring all this to a conclusion because what is really the point here? Is the point here, am I teaching on this because our church needs deacons? Well, that's not why I'm teaching. I'm teaching this because the Bible says to teach the whole counsel of God. But I believe God is establishing guidelines in the, in the New Testament church so that when it becomes necessary for every church to have deacons, you know who to look for. I have a, a friend back in North Carolina who <clears throat> belongs to a Baptist church and was um, elected or chosen to be a deacon at his church. And <clears throat> when in this particular church, when a man has been a deacon for I, I want to say it was 10 years, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, I honestly don't remember the time frame. But there was a time frame attached to it that once you've been a deacon for this amount of time, you become a deacon for life. Yeah, it's kind of like being a Supreme Court justice, yeah. Okay? Now, Now, some of you are looking at me like, What's that? Well, that's exactly was my question. What's that? A deacon for life? What, what is that? <clears throat> now, the question is, is that a biblical thought or principle? No. No. Uh, just as there's no such thing as a pastor for life. Why, why is that? We're human, and we're going to make mistakes. And if I do something that disqualifies me, I'm no longer a pastor. And the same thing goes with a deacon. Anything, anything that happens in that individual's life that, that, that would cause him to be disqualified, it is a no-brainer. That, that individual is no longer a, a deacon, period. But in this particular church, and I'm here to tell you, it happens a lot, <laughs> especially in the Southeast. Uh, it, there are deacons in churches across our country today that shouldn't be a deacon at a doghouse because they are not qualified. They are not servants. They have no idea. Anyway, that's just a little... Whew, I feel better. <clears throat> now, let me ask you a question because, and this, this could be a, a leading question, but... <clears throat> Should every church 
have deacons? No. That is, that is the right answer. No. Let me ask you another question. In the book of Acts that we read earlier, how, many, how, how big was the church before they had deacons? This is about 3,000. I was talking to a pastor recently who pastors a church about, about, about double what ours is. And, and he was communicating to me his frustration with his deacons. And I, my first question is, why do you have deacons? We don't. I mean, someday we probably will. And that's fine. That's great. But when should a church have deacons? Do, should a church have deacons just to have deacons? No. no. When should a church have deacons? Yes, sir. You should have preached this message. That's exactly right. See, and, and who, who, okay, is that at a church of 500? Is it a church of 1,000? It depends on the church. And when the work of the ministry is not getting done, that's when you are supposed to have deacons. So let me ask you a question. And this, and this is my opinion, okay? Well, let, I, I'm going to make a statement, and then I'll ask a question. My feeling is, my opinion is, had the church of Acts, had the believers in the church of Acts been doing the right thing, they wouldn't have needed deacons. Is that right? But what happens? Every one of us gets lazy, do we not? Yes, sir. There you go. So, my question is this. If everybody in this room this evening was a deacon at heart, would we need deacons? No. So my question then is, who are the deacons? We are. We are. I taught on this many, many years ago. And after I taught on this, I mean long time ago, after I taught on this, somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, does that mean that I'll never be able to be a deacon? And I said this to him. I said, you know, you may not ever be able to hold the office of a deacon, but you can be a deacon. We can all be deacons. Because the deacon, just a servant. Somebody who's looking out for someone else. Noticing, looking around, saying, hey, so-and-so wasn't here tonight. 
you know, one of, occasionally, this doesn't happen very often, but it does happen occasionally. People will say to me, um, pick on Ronnie. Ronnie, Ronnie comes up to me and says, you know, hey, Pastor, uh, you know, Misty's not been here for a couple of weeks. Can you call her and check on her? You know what I usually say? Why don't you call? See what I mean? If you notice somebody's not here, you call them. Because if if I call Misty, I'm sorry, Misty. I really do like you. Um, but if, if I call Misty, what is she going to think? Oh, he's a pastor. He has to call me. But if Milka calls Misty and says, hey, I've been missing you, what are you going to think? Wow. See what I mean? It carries a whole lot more weight coming from somebody who's a non-pastor. Why? Because now all of a sudden, wow, Milka cares about me. See, we can all be deacons. Now, there will be a time, I'm confident, there will be a time in the, in the future of our church where we will have deacons. But I hope it's a long ways off. Because when that day comes, that means that we as a church are not getting the job done. And to me, that's a sad place to be. Any questions? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this.